Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. We've had a, a great uh, group on vacation. Christy is still on vacation. If you're going to pick up your kids, our intern will be back there, Katie Mitchell. She's done a tremendous job this uh, summer with our children and helping there. And Brother Jason and, and Ashley have been out, but they're back with us today. And uh, Brother Aaron and Jen leave this week, and then they get back, and then Brother Case and Brittany leave. And I'm just always on vacation. I just kind of oversee the thing, but uh, summer is good, amen? want to apologize for my voice. I don't know if it was Denise Stewart or if it was the prayer woman. Uh, Denise, we were sitting in, uh, in Paladura Canyon on 4th of July, and, and Denise just kept bellyaching about how hot it was. And uh, finally, during the time, during the play, of course, that whole thing, the play is written on the fact that the drought is there and farmers are praying. And so this Indian woman is up doing a rain dance on top of this uh, barn up there. And God answered her prayer. I mean, a storm come through that place. And I got cold and I got wet and then my voice went and so I'm still trying to overdo it. So Denise did cool off. I promise you the temperature dropped about 30 degrees in about five minutes there. But it was a unique experience. I'll tell you that for sure. Uh, but anyway, we're thankful you're here this morning. Normally we preach through a book of the Bible. We just got through with the book of Mark. We'd been there over a year. So the rest of this summer, we're just going to do a little series on the prophets uh, no time to be weak. No time for sissies. Boy, every time we look around in our country today, we see thing after thing that's leading up to the fact that we need to stand up for Jesus Christ. Second Kings chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning, beginning in verse 8. A number of years ago, Norman Cousins wrote an article in Saturday Review and reported of a conversation he had with a... With a uh, 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 on a trip to India, and he was talking with a Hindu priest named Sadis Prasad. And the man said he wanted to come to America to work as a missionary among the Americans. And Cousins thought immediately that the guy wanted to come and convert Americans to the Hindu religion. And so he began to press him a little bit and ask him some questions. And Sadis Prasad said, uh, oh, no. I want to convert the Americans to the Christian religion. You see, Christianity, he said, cannot survive in the abstract. It doesn't need membership. It needs believers. And the people of your country may claim they believe in Christianity, but from what I read at this distance, Christianity is just a custom. I would ask that either you accept the teachings of Jesus in your everyday life, in your affairs as a nation, or stop invoking his name as sanction for everything you do. Wow. Oh, have mercy. I was, well, let's read the scripture. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Would you stand, please? Honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel, took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you don't pass through such a place, for there the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. 
Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told of him, saying, Behold, he's in Dothan. Now, that's not Alabama, but it's in Palestine. But therefore, verse 14, sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and came forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. And when they came down to him, Elijah prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite these people, I pray thee, with blindness. He smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elijah. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. He led them to Samaria. And it came to pass, when they were coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. The king of Israel said unto Elisha, When he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. He prepared a great provision for them. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and went into their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Father, thank you today for your word, how it speaks to our hearts. Would you just... Lord, let your Holy Spirit have control of every person's thought, mind, and heart in this auditorium today. We give you praise for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I got a forward in an email, and when you get a forward, I usually just knock those out and don't even read them. But I opened this one, and it was some questions that children ask of God, what children might ask of God. And uh, I've read those, and I thought, that's good. Uh, one of them said, are you really invisible, or is that just a trick? Another young child said, do animals get to use you too, or do they have someone else? The third one said, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good there right now. <laughs> the other child said, in Sunday school, they told us what you do. Who does it when you're on vacation? I love this one. If God doesn't have a sister, why do I have to have one? Mm. Now that's cute. <laughs> and we laugh at that as a child. But you know the sad thing is that some folk never grow out of that small mentality of what their God is. Some folks still have that same narrow mind, that same small view. And when the prophet comes, when a prophet of God is here, he speaks on behalf of God. But he not only speaks on behalf of God, he, put, he puts his feet 
to what God has told him to speak. In other words, he practices what he professes. Many people profess to know Christ, but their lives don't match up with it. The miracles that God has done, the, the outstanding things that God has blessed us with, to be a part of a team who in the end wins it all. And then we live life like it's useless. We live life like there's no victory. There's no excitement. His prophet is a life of obedience and of faithfulness. And there are three characters here in this story that I want us to look at this morning. And hopefully God will speak to our hearts within one of these three characters. The first one, I want you to understand, the king of of uh, Syria understands this truth about God, and that is that God sees everything. God sees everything. I mean, in verse 8, he's planning the rage to knock out the children of Israel, and he sets up a place to take them out, and he said, we're going to ambush them there. Well, the children of Israel never show up. And those, he said, all right, let's go over here. We know they're going to come to this watering hole. Let's go over here. Let's set up an ambush for them there but the children of Israel never show up. The enemy knew where they were going to be vulnerable, and the same is true in our life today. The devil knows where your goat is tied, amen? He knows all about you. He knows how to push your buttons. He knows just to send the right person that you don't need to see. That's why they keep showing up. He knows just to call uh, you on the caller ID. That's why that thing keeps showing up. He knows what you struggle with and the temptation you're having a problem with. That's what he's out to do, to kill and to steal and to destroy your life. We're not in a game, folks. This is not toying around. The devil seeks to destroy you. He seeks to destroy your family and this church and every other church that preaches the word of God. It's on a mission to murder us. He's lying in wait. Verse 9 and 10 tells us that God lets Elisha know what's going to happen so that Elisha can go warn the king of Israel. And he would go warn him, say, don't go over here. They're going to be there. Don't go over here. Now, don't go over here today because they're going to be over here today. And the king of Syria gets ticked. Could I tell you something this morning, folks? Just honestly, I know my voice is gone, but I wish you'd hear this. We've been given much. And there's a responsibility to those who've been given much. You see, the word that God gave Elisha doesn't do anything until Elisha takes that word to the king. It's not going to help the king if Elisha don't tell the king. It's one thing to have the truth, and it's another thing to deliver that truth. All around us are people in danger. They're hurting. They're being destroyed. And we're sitting here with the truth of the living God. It doesn't do any good. In fact, I'll be honest with you. The way that I look at this thing, for us to have the truth and not share the truth with others, we just wells to be their enemy. The king of Syria is ticked off. <laughs> he said, there's got to be a spy in the house. I want to know who he is. Somebody, somebody is telling what's going on here. And the people get together and they say, oh, king, uh, we, we beg to differ with you. There's no spy in the house. I'll tell you what the deal is. There's a man of God down there named Elisha. And that dude knows what you say in your bedroom. 
Whoo, come on now. I mean, it's one thing that we hear what each other says out loud. That's bad enough. Bless God, can you imagine what would happen if you, what you said in your bedroom got broadcast? He said, this God knows what you say in your bedchamber. And then he, he tells the prophet, and the prophet tells the king. Wow. I want to tell you, folks, the, the people of this world are never going to understand your reliance on God. They're never going to do that. I mean, you say we're having a hard time paying our bills. But bless God, we've been faithful in giving, and we've been faithful in giving God what was his, and God is supplying our needs. And the world says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You don't have enough money to go around, and you're giving money away? We don't understand that. They'll never understand that. This world is in turmoil and, and disarray, but yet when you're not falling apart and you've got a peace that passeth understanding, a joy unspeakable, full of glory, the world says, what in the world is wrong with you? Don't you understand we're about to lose everything? Oh, no, we're, we're trusting the Lord. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So in verses 14 and 15, they king of, Israel, of Syria said, go get him, go fetch him. I mean, if we can't surprise them and wipe them out, then bless God, we're going to surround them. I'm going to send every horse I got. I'm going to send every chariot I got. We're going to surround them. He's there in Dothan. Now, Dothan's not your normal place for a guy to be. Samaria was where the Israelites were camped out. Samaria had walls around it to protect them. Dothan's sitting out there in the middle of the desert. There's no walls, there's no protection, there's nothing. <clears throat> and so it's easy, accessible. Uh, I want to tell you, the best place you can be is not seeking out the men's best, but seeking God's best. I, I know uh, <laughs> I'm talking to some people that you're saving your money, you stockpiling your medicine, you got enough ammunition to blow up Fort Knox, you load it up on food, but I want to tell you, earthly protection is useless outside of the will of God. You just mark that down now. You have all the high-tech alarm system you want to. You have 58 airbags in your car if you want to. But I tell you, when you get outside the will of God, you're wide open for destruction. God sees everything. We don't think he does. We think as long as we can lock our doors, we're all right. As long as we can get behind closed doors and nobody's going to know what's going on. Nobody else knows. But I want to tell you that God knows everything. He knows everything. When you and I understand that, it will change the way we live. When we begin to understand that God knows everything, it changes the places I want to go to. It changes the things I want to do. It changes the things I don't even say. Because God knows and God sees. And one of these days, folks, according to the word of God, we're accountable to a holy God of everything we've said and everything we've done. There's some of you in this place this morning, you didn't want to get involved in building for eternity. You say, preacher, I, I don't have enough money. I, just, I can't do that. I can't do that. No, let me tell you what the truth is. You ready for the truth? You ain't even prayed about it. You ain't even prayed about it. I want to get involved with what God's doing, but then you won't even pray about it? No. I won't tell you, you're going to be held accountable. Well, God sees everything. Everything. 
Let me get to number two. I'm going to get somewhere where I can get an amen. <laughs> God knows everything. The king of Syria found that out. But I'm going to tell you what. The helper of Elisha found out that God is all-powerful. <laughs> he can do everything. He can do anything. Verse 15 says, the servant of the man of God rose up early. I'm sure he was probably getting up to get coffee ready for Elisha. And that's what every good staff member ought to do. <laughs> Amen. Bring the donuts. Somebody brings the donuts. Somebody brings the coffee. You get everything. Right. And he gets up early. He rises up early. And he looks out the window. And where he had gone to bed the night before, and there were fields of corn, and there were solid fields all around the house, he looks out there, and there's armies of the enemy scattered all the way around the house, hundreds and thousands of them. He said, oh, Houston, we got a problem. We got a big problem. And he runs in and he wakes up Elisha. And he says, Elisha, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're all scattered everywhere. And Elisha says, oh, son, don't you know that the ones with us are more than the ones against us? And he said, Lord, would you open his eyes? Where the king of Syria had sent horses and chariots of wood, here comes the king of kings with horses and chariots of fire. <laughs> and there's more of them than there are of the Syrians. Now I want to tell you, it, it, it literally is a picture of a weak believer when he wakes up Elisha all fretted out. You say, well, preacher, that no, no. Fear has overshadowed their faith, and the enemy has overshadowed who their God is. We're like that today. Boy, we sit here, we hear we hear music like we heard this morning. We're wanting to shout and sing hallelujah. We pray and we pray in the Lord. We say amen to the sermon. And you let the first little old problem come our way and we're ready to tuck our tail and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what you're going to do. My daddy would say you dance with the one who brung you. If the Lord God has saved you and sustained you and brought you here, do you think he brought you here to fail? You stay with him. Adrian Rogers tells the story about the man that bragged that he had cut off the tail of a man-eating lion with his pocket knife. And they asked him why he hadn't cut the lion's head off. The man said somebody else had already done that. I want to tell you, if the lion's already there and he's dead, so you cut the tail off. So what? Man, our, our faith cannot be based on our emotions or on our feelings. It must be based upon the Word of God. I'll be honest with you. I, I've been kind of depressed because uh, we don't have a program. Everybody else has got a program. We sat at a table last night, and it's good intention. It's another church in town. They've got a great program going to reach Longview. And other churches have great programs going to reach Longview. And I'm saying, Lord, we ain't got a program. God, Woodland Hills needs a program. I stayed up three or four hours last night. Brother Herman, my dear friend, he texted me this morning. I get a text from him every morning or a call from him every morning. And this is what he said. Well, 
I think I'll say this is what he said. <laughs> I may not. Uh, oh, said Brother Herman said, I believe something good is going to happen at Woodland Hills today. We've already prayed for you. I was thinking, now I've not told a word to him. Keep it simple and make much of Jesus. My goodness. I said, Lord, we don't need no program. What we need is the Holy Ghost of God to come down in this place. I tell you, we don't need any more programs. Programs are a dime a dozen created by man. What we need is for the Holy Spirit to be so strong on this place that when people walk in, they say, my soul, what is it in here? What's going on in here? Could I tell you a secret? God lives at your address. 777 Charles Hunt. The Holy Ghost lives right here. He lives right there in you. You don't need anything else except the Holy Spirit of God. Yield yourself to him. God's promises are true. He, he says what he says, and he means what he says. Uh, you say, preacher, I've got a sickness. What's a sickness when you've got the great physician? You say, preacher, I've got a financial problem. What's that when you have a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, paves the streets with gold, and builds the gates out of pearls? Preacher, I'm scared of death. What is death when Jesus has already conquered the grave and hell? You see, no problem you have amounts to anything when you stack it up next to Jesus. What our problem is, we spend all our time, we live in the light of the problem and not in the light of who God is. We want to live with our eyes fixed on our need and not our eyes fixed on our provider. We want the attention fixed on the enemy and not the God who's overcome the enemy. <laughs> and the helper of Elijah, I, I, I don't know, this is not in there. <laughs> don't you know that dude, after God opened his eyes and he saw all that, he thought, what a dense I was. I knew I shouldn't have opened my mouth. I cannot believe I said that to the prophet. I ought to be strong enough Christian. I ought to know God can do this. King Assyria learns that God's everywhere. The helper of Elijah learns that God's all powerful. There's one more king that learns something. It's the king of Israel. And he learns that God is merciful. God is merciful. Can you get this picture with me here? Verses 18, 20, it just gets better and better. I mean, you think it can't get no better, but I'm just telling you, it gets better and better. God strikes them all blind. And Elijah just kind of wanders into camp and says, hey, boys, uh, I know the guy y'all are looking for. He's not here, but if you'll follow me, I'll take him to where he is. <laughs> They're all blind. Can you see him? Where, where's he at? Over here, over here. Oh, okay, follow me over here. Over here. And here he leads this entire blind army. They're blind. I didn't make that up. That's what the scripture says. And he's got them there, and he leads them up to Samaria. And he said, Lord, you, you know what it reminds me of? I love Andy Griffin. You know that. There's an episode where a goat ate some dynamite. And old Barney is playing a little horn, and he's waltzing through town, and that goat's following him uh, uh, while, he, while he's trying to get him outside of town before he blows somebody up. 
I mean, it's like the Pied Piper. Here comes old Elijah, and he's just a Pied Piper. And all of these armies, hang on, boys, and they're holding on to each other. Here he goes, here he goes. And they follow him, and they come right down there to Samaria. Don't you know the people of Samaria are looking out their windows that morning and say, what in the world? This is the entire enemy of the king of Israel, and they're all gathered here, and they're blind. The king of Israel runs out there, and he said, Father, talking to the prophet Elisha, he said, you want me to strike them? And then it's like he didn't hear what I said. Do you want me to strike them? And Elijah said, no, I don't want you to strike them. These aren't your enemies. Oh, that's a lesson we ought to learn this morning, folks. This world we're fighting in, it's not our fight. This fight belongs to the Lord and to the devil. And according to my word, it's already been won by Jesus. So I'm not here to defend. You don't need to defend Jesus. I tell you, he's big enough to defend himself. You don't need to defend him. The king of Israel says, shall I strike him down? And he said, hey, this is not your fight. Now, <clears throat> When you got a deal like this, you can show one of two things. You can show mercy or you can show judgment. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you show judgment. I know you. I know you. I mean, when that car zooms by you on the freeway and about four miles down the road, whoo, 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 those little lights are on that car, you drive by and say, mm. <laughs> huh? Don't you lie to me. That's exactly, he got just what he deserved. When the Yankees get knocked out of the playoffs, mm. huh? I'm just saying, I, there may be a Yankee fan, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Babe Ruth died, thank you, it's over. What happens when we need mercy? I got to thinking about it. The times that I've fallen, I don't even want to think about them. But in all the times that I've done wrong and fallen, I've never come before God and say, God, just give it to me. I can take it, just give it to me. I've always come before God and said, oh God, have mercy. I'm a sinner and I need your mercy. And the king of Israel learns that God is all merciful. Wow. See, sometimes we need to be about mercy rather than judgment. God's not called us to, to judge everybody. God's called us to have mercy. People who are living in darkness, they don't really need another judgment. What they need is somebody to tell them the truth. Tell them that there's a God heaven who can change their lives you have to uh, accept everyone in their sin I'm not saying that at all if you're living in sin you have no business being a member of a church let me say that again you didn't hear that if you're living in open sin rebellious toward God you have no member you have no business being part of a Christian church you need to repent I mean 50 years ago we'd have put you out of the church we said, no, when you straighten out your life, then you can come on back to the house of God. See, we've watered all that down now. And because we've watered all that down, there's not enough power in the church now to blow the fuzz off a peach. Because we've all watered everything down. 
God wants us to be as vessels of mercy in a world that literally seeks vengeance. Boy, the, the world does not want mercy. They want vengeance. Vengeance. Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions. He was trying to make a bold statement to ensure that he could win and be victorious. And he ordered his men to march down to the edge of the cliffs of Dover. And he said he commanded each one of those men to look down on the cliffs below. And to their amazement, they saw every ship in which they had crossed the channel engulfed in flames. Caesar had deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. See, one of our problems here as Christians is we'll go with God until things get a little tough and then we'll retreat and go back like we used to be. Morning. I don't know what's wrong with this mic other than the devil. I can tell you this morning, God is not looking for people to retreat. God is who will be sold out to Jesus Christ. Who will say, I'll give up everything to follow Christ. I'll not turn back. I'll not look back. I don't want any part of the world. I've had all the world has to offer, and I want no part of it. I want to do nothing but glorify my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you willing to say that this morning? You see, the, the Syrian chief found out that God is, sees everything. The helper of Elisha found out that God is all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing. I don't care what it is. It's not too hard for God. And the Israelite chief found out that God is all-merciful. That's a plan of salvation all over itself. God so loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you so that you could have eternal life. Father, thank you this morning for the joy to preach, for the joy to open the word of God and know that the prophets of God were standing true to the word of God. And Lord, I'm asking you in this place today, God, would you raise up an army an army of men, women, young people, children who would say, we're not going to back down. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be faithful. Maybe it begins this morning by somebody being saved. It's never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And today they'll come and say, I want to, I want to give it all to Jesus. I want to surrender. I want to be saved. Maybe it starts by joining this church saying, I want to put my family here in a place that teaches the Word of God and that will stand on the Word of God. Maybe it starts by just coming down to an altar as a child of God and say, Lord, I know I'm saved. But, oh God, I have to admit, my heart's kind of grown hard and I really get a whole lot more thrill out of judgment than I do mercy. And God, I want you to soften my heart today. I want you to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I want to be a merciful Christian because you have shown mercy to me. I want to show it to others. Would you let your will be done in every life in this place? In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together.